want me to say. Um, I have a few things in my mind, Lord, but really want them to come from you, especially after what we just heard from Ron. Lord, just, we don't take this topic lightly. Father, we just come before you in the stillness of our hearts and um, just ask that you would open up our hearts to hear what you have to say, especially me, Lord. I don't want this to come from <clears throat> my ideas only, but from you for us this morning. Lord, we think of everyone who's in here. We just want to pray a blessing over everyone who made it out this morning. And we also want to pray for anyone who didn't make it, Lord, who may have wanted to. We just encourage them. <clears throat> we ask that you would encourage them right where they're at. Bless them this morning. Bless them on this day. And thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, kind of liked Don singing this morning, too. That could happen more often. I'd be okay with that. How about you, Don? No? It was good. It was good to walk in on that. When's Eddie coming back? <laughs> When's Eddie coming back? Hopefully next week. <clears throat> um, wow, it's just so good to see everybody. Um, I hope you guys all know that my wife and I and Titus are moving up here at the end of April, so you will have to look at us more often. Um, so I'd like to take the opportunity now to apologize for Titus in advance. Um, if any of you don't know, I have a two-year-old, and um, the reason he doesn't come up with me when I come up is because even though we have a wonderful little mother's room back there, he is louder than the mother's room. And... Yeah, we might have to leave him upstairs during services. We'll see how this is going to go. Um, but please keep that in prayer. There's a lot of lot of details around that. If you would turn with me to uh, the book of Job, we'll start this morning. Oh, it's up there. That's cool. Um... And before I start, can you guys remind me a little bit, I had listened to Pastor Chris's message from last week, Job the Worshipper, where he got into the story of Job, and he outlined what was going on, um, but can someone just tell me kind of what they got from it? If you, if, you have it, if you were here last week, or if you remember anything, can you just tell me what you think about it? I'd like to hear from you guys. Anybody? I remember um, him saying that like the life of a worshiper is is deeper than like what's going on around us. Like we don't worship based on what's happening to us or not. How how Ron was saying this morning as well that like we are based on who Christ is and what and what He's done, not in our circumstances. I remember that being what I took away from it. But uh, does anyone have anything? Anyone?
Joe went through so much, suffering and everything like that. At the end, you know, God still blessed him with twice as much. Yeah, twice as much blessing at the end. That's a good point. God knows our end game. Um, let's let's think about that before I get in. Uh, let's talk about that end game. Can you guys see that on the board? Um, it's a line, and that's an arrow, and that's a dot. <clears throat> now I'm going to graduate out of kindergarten, and we're going to go a little bit further with this. The reason I'm drawing this is. Um, I've been really thinking about my life recently as far as what the heck am I doing here. And when Pastor Chris told me that the theme was on Job, I'll be honest, I don't like the book of Job. It's really rather an exhaustive book on the topic of suffering, topic of evil, and for me it's one of the books that I question a lot, not in a theological way, but as it relates to me, I, I still have a difficult time with it. And it's, I mean, I know why. It's because I'm young and all of that. But um, it has this big question in the book, right? The why. Like, why did God let this stuff happen to Job? And <clears throat> the reason I drew the, the line is because I want us to think of Job's life. Like Carl was just saying about God knowing the end game. Um... We have, we'll just write Job's name here, and we'll pretend that this line represents his life, the timeline of his life, okay? Um, what's really interesting is we do not know anything about Job's life before Satan went to God and was like, I want to tempt this guy, right? So, from Job being born, let's draw Job probably had a beard. And if this is when he was born to, let's just, I don't know how many years, but let's just presume this much of his life is before the angel tempted him, right? We don't know anything about his life, but we're given some clues, right? We know a few things. We know he had lots of little kids, you know, times, what was it, ten? And we know he had lots of money. But we know that he had the kids and the money at this point in time when the story of Job gets introduced. We know that he had um, you know, lots of houses because obviously if his kids could party in one house and that he was living in another, he had multiple houses. You know, let's just say, let's say he had three. One for him, one for his crazy wife, and one for all his kids. Maybe he's got three houses, right? We know where the story intersects in the Bible, right here. We know that he has all these things, right? But we don't know how he got them, or when he got them, if it was two days prior, if he, you know, made a big gamble and got tons of stuff. But we kind of know, as we read the story, he's got a really good head on his shoulder. He does understand things. And even though he's gets, like, at this point in the story, he gets all of this stuff wiped away, and he goes back down to zero here. We know that beforehand he had all these things, he had all these relationships, so we can guess that he was more educated than the average guy. We can guess that he was actually good with people, 
I mean, even though his wife said curse God and die, they did produce ten kids together. I don't think you can produce that many kids together and still, you know, hate each other, maybe. But we have to assume the best. We assume a lot of things, right, about Job. But we still don't know about his life. We don't know how many other times he might have lost things, right? We know the bits and pieces that are in the Bible, and we know that God calls him a righteous man. But we don't know about what happened beforehand as far as how, you know, all the ebbs and flows of everything that he went through happened. We just don't. But I like to think about Job um, a certain way. I like to think that, you know, as he was having kids and as he was going to work and as he was relating to his wife and the people around him, that it wasn't actually easy. I hear a lot of preachers talk about the intersection where the story starts and just say, you know, Job was this great guy. Now, we know he was to some extent because he was worshiping God. And it says, you know, he was making sacrifices for his kids even before he knew what kind of crazy stuff they had done. So we know that this guy really did walk before God in a time before even the Bible was readily available. This guy was really with it. But I don't think he came out of the womb this way. I really don't. I, I like to think about Job the way our lives unfold. It's not a straight path. Like, I drew a straight line, but we all know that it's more like a freaking roller coaster. If I were to ask any of you to talk about how you got where you are right now, it's a roller coaster. Even my son Titus at two years old, I've already put him through the ringer. You know, I put my wife through the ringer. Those of you in the room who've got crazy stories, it's it hasn't been easy, right? So I like to think about Job in a way that really paints him as very, very human. That it was not easy. I mean, we, we could even assume that he had a hard life, and as he was collecting these different things, the cattle, the sheep, you know, having the big family, lots of houses, being this businessman, I wonder if he, I wonder if he was faithful to his wife the whole time. I do, you know. I wonder if he ever lied or cheated to get some of the stuff he got. But you know what's very interesting? God doesn't bring any of that up when God talks to Job, does he? And Job, I mean, he's a smart dude. He wouldn't bring it up either. But Job never, until the middle of the story, if you're familiar with Job, in the beginning, Job is just kind of like, God, what's going on? And then towards the middle, he's kind of like, this is your fault. And then when God comes in, afterwards, Job's like, my bad. I mean, that's basically the three tones Job goes through in the Bible, right? What's going on? Your fault, not mine. And then, oops, my bad, once God comes back in. I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of in a place where I personally am kind of pointing the finger at God. In, in the different things that are going on in my life, I'm very much not in the what's going on. I know what's going on. <clears throat> but I'm at the point where it's kind of like pointing the finger at God and I'm like, what the heck, you know? Which I really don't have a reason to. I have a wonderful wife. I have a wonderful son. I have a good job. Um, I have a good family. I don't actually have anything to complain about, but things aren't always going my way, right? And so I'm kind of at that place where I'm having those doubts and those questions. Not about my theology, not about God. I don't doubt God. I doubt how he's dealing the cards to me, as we all do, right? And I feel like that's the crux of the story of Job, is that before God got to his point, 
And when Job's ear got rattled off by his three different friends, Job really got poisoned. And whether it was of his own accord or whether it was his friends, we do see a shift in Job, right? Um, and the reason I drew the timeline like that is because we also, even though we get like a little glimpse of the story, like here, the season of his suffering, there's not enough room to write the word suffering. But we get this glimpse of his life, but we know his life goes on even farther off the page. So we don't know what he does afterwards either, right? We get a very, we get a really small glimpse of Job's life. We don't even get six months to a year. We get we get minutes of the of the dialogue. We get days. We really don't even get more than a few months to look at Job. But there's all that talking in the book, and there's a wealth of information in that book about human interaction, right? As it relates to suffering. Why would God do that? Why would God give us a whole book about suffering in a very small glimpse? And why would he let things escalate? Because what do we know? Um, There's another way to look at the timeline with Job that I want to bring out. There's his life. And like the reason I was saying that is because we can, you know, he was born. So that's like on a scale of 1 to 10. That's 10. You got born. Okay? That was amazing. And then as he goes along his life, you know, Job probably got spanked for doing naughty things. You know, he probably stole camels. Um, But he also probably did really good things. He probably had his education. Those were good things. He probably had a good family because he had a large family and they weren't complaining. Um, You know, he eventually got married at some point. So, M for married, not getting in trouble. That's close to the top. Um, you know, he had his first house. We could put that on a timeline. That was a good thing. You know, he had other kids. All these other great things happened to him. And the reason I was questioning earlier, you know, do we really know the rest of Job's life, is because there were, you know, he probably lost money. You know, someone probably stole from him at some point. He may have stolen from somebody at some point. He probably lied, did all these other things. And so if you looked at Job's life up until the point of the story, He probably had all these negative things happen at different times, and he probably had all these other good things happening to him. And when we catch up to him, he's kind of close to the top. Ton of kids, ton of wealth, ton of houses, happy wife, right before the story. And then what happens? God God intervenes in this huge way, and it's it's the biggest negative of his life. He loses his kids. His wife basically tells him, she doesn't believe in God. She, by what she says, curse God and die, she's basically also claiming what atheists claim, that there isn't a God here to help you. You might as well curse him and die from whatever's happening to you. So Job's life, sorry that's messy, but I wanted the visual. We, we know that there's lots of ups and there's lots of downs. And it's like our lives as well, right? And it's really interesting to me, in my... Like, I'm only 26, I'm really young, but in my state of life, I'm at this place where I'm telling God, why? Why, why, why? And my life is very similar to Job in that it has lots of ups and lots of downs, but it's very interesting to me that I bring all of my negative stuff to God. I bring everything below the line to God, and I say, this season of life is not fair to me. Look at all the bad stuff. I'm not happy. And of course, I'm also dealing with a season where God's a little bit quiet with me. Rightly so. I'm missing the whole 
other side of the scale, right? And he's not, right? God's up here being very quiet with his love for me because he's allowing me to process, basically in my ignorance, that I'm talking to him, why, 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 why with all the negative stuff, and I'm not focusing on the stuff on the top. Now, I'm not trying to talk about behavior modification at all. My main point today um, is not that we need to just focus on the positive stuff. Please don't take that away from this. What I want to say is when I'm pointing the finger back at God saying why, I'm actually completely dismissing the cross and the person who died on it. So... Ron, you actually changed most of what I wanted to say this morning because um, the Spirit really spoke through you and I feel like I need to just continue that as, as it relates to Job. We, when we look at the bottom line of our life and we look at the negative things and we don't think redemptively, we are missing the cross. We are missing Jesus Christ. Now for those of us who are younger, it's really hard to get that through our, our brains because we haven't experienced a lot of life um, to know that there's redemption. And when we're young, we, we think we're on top of the world. We really do. And I'm kind of at this peak where, as I make the transition up to Hatboro, away from a lot of what I've been a part of, I'm afraid. I'm scared. And I'm also a little bit upset because I know it's God's will, but I'm kind of not interested on, on one level. I, I love you guys. I'm actually really excited to be up here. I love the area. I hate Baltimore. I hope this is recorded. I really hate the city of Baltimore. It's, it's just terrible. It smells terrible. I don't like how the people drive. It's been, it's been a bad experience for me. I love the people down there. Most, some, just a few of them. I love a few of them. But um, I love Hatboro a little bit more. Um, but I say that because I'm still centering everything around myself when I'm pointing the finger back at God and when I'm questioning Him. I'm still, I'm still worried about like this, this person, Kyle, I'm still letting life orbit around me, right? And what do we know about the story of Job? Let's turn to, um, let's turn to the Bible. I was reading in Job 6, Job is answering one of the accusations against um, him. In Job 6, he starts talking. I'll read from verse 1 onwards. Job answered and said, Oh, that my vexation could be weighed and all of my devastation could be laid in the balances. It would be heavier than the sand of the sea. My words have been rash. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks their poison. The terrors of God are aligned against me. And this is where he's getting into it. And he goes the next few verses giving these illustrations. My appetite is not there. Um, I wish God would fulfill my hope. And you've got to read this with not just emotion, but with understanding his tone. He's upset. He's not just writing words. He's not just being poetic. The man is very upset. Where is my strength that I should wait? Where is my end, verse 11, that I should be patient? What resource is driven away from me? Do I have any help? He withholds kindness from a friend, forsakes the fear of the Almighty. My friends are treacherous. He just keeps going, and he keeps looking at everything around him and saying, God, why? 
And I'm not telling us this morning, and for my own sake as well, I'm not saying we shouldn't ask why. I think we actually should focus on the why, but we should be open to the actual answer. Um, the youth pastor in, in Baltimore, Pastor John Love, was very adamant telling those of us in the youth program that um, battles follow blessings, and also he would say that um, many times you'll have a great weekend or a great week or a great month, things line up on the earth in your favor, and then at some point they kind of stop, and it can really be terrible when you're going through life, things are going great, and then, you know, you end up on the, the bottom side of the timeline, like what we talked about earlier. And he says, battles follow blessings. But you know what else he says is that when we are transitioning between those stages of battles, like where we're fighting, or between blessings when things are in our favor because God is giving us a time of peace, that um, it's, it's doubt that will ask the question why, but it's unbelief in our hearts that refuse to listen to the answer we are always faced with decisions on how we're going to deal with the perspective of what goes on around us, right? I mean, that's the whole book of Job. He gets very flippant with his friends, with God, with everything going on, and then God has to remind him that it's okay to doubt, but don't get stuck in unbelief and not listen to the actual answers to the question why. Because the question why is very important. We should doubt everything we experience to a measure. Even the blessings, we should make sure we are really looking at our heart and our motive and make sure that we don't look at blessings as something we created. I'll be honest, as a, as a, as a male of the human species, every time something right goes on around me, I give myself like an imaginary million points, even if I had nothing to do with it, because I feel like I did it sometimes. I don't know if women deal with this. But as a guy, I know I do. Many of us other guys, we sometimes give ourselves an overabundance of credit for stuff that maybe we didn't even do. Um, or when we do something that does work out, you know, we give ourselves a, a billion points on, on the scale of, like, I've done the right thing. And that's great, but I have to really check myself and realize, is that, is that redemptive? I should be encouraged. I should be full of courage, and I should be very happy when the things are going right in my life. But I do need to keep my heart in a place of thankfulness, right? If we look back at the timeline, um, if, we, if we think of our life as linear, and we kind of have to, because we know that, you know, we start with one day, and then we end with, you know, so many days. So they build up the amount of days we have on this planet. But if we only think about the negative things and not about the positive things that happen in our life, what happens? We lose track of thankfulness. We lose track of the source. Your life is linear because you're not in control of it. And not only are you not in control of it, you're, you're along for the ride of your own life. When you wake up, where did waking up come from? It's part of what God has already given us. If we look at the story of Job and the victory that we can have in suffering, it's a really hard answer. Because I can't stand before you with a good conscience and tell you, you will always have victory in your suffering. You might not. You might die. The people around you, you might die. Things might go terribly wrong, and you might never get out of them until you're done. 
But if you focus only on those things, your perspective is gone, and you'll be like Job's wife. I feel like Job's wife, she gets her moment to say her thing, and I feel like God really gave her a second chance in respect to her ability to see things as they were. I mean, she wasn't the one sick, right? She was the one still healthy. I mean, she lost her kids. And my gosh, I mean, I've lost, I've lost uh, grandparents and good friends. I haven't lost my children yet. I've thought about it, though. If I ever lost Titus, I don't think I could function as a human being anymore. I really don't. For Job's wife to have lost ten kids, and she still comes across as actually kind of gracious to Job when she's saying, curse God and die, curse God and die, I feel like that was actually a gracious thing for her to say, because she still didn't abandon her husband. I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I would want to go sit in a hole and hope someone covered me over with dirt if I lost ten kids. I feel like Job's wife gives us a glimpse at someone who can't be thankful in the moment, because there's just so much suffering going on. And, and like I said, I don't want to stand before you and tell you that the victory and suffering will be there a certain way. But I can tell you that what doesn't change is the person behind all the suffering. And we're the ones that are the dynamic. We're the ones that go through suffering or go through blessings. But the person behind all of it is Christ. I, I really have to find a lot of hope in that. Because if it is true in the times of blessing that we can doubt things, but we can also be encouraged and have thankfulness, then we also need to know that it's not over. And there is hope at the end of the situation. There is hope in the suffering. And Pastor Chris was also talking to me about the idea that um, we should talk about the deeper life versus shallow Christianity. I think it's very easy... Don't read my notes. I think it's very easy um, to be Christians and sometimes be that person who comes into a situation where someone else is suffering and try to pat people on the back or give them a hug and be like, it's going to be okay. Because it, it might not be. You'd be a little presumptuous to say, like, your situation is going to be okay. What, what should we be saying, though? What would be a deeper life thing to say instead of telling someone it's going to be okay? We should instead be directing them to Christ. Um, there's an author I read. <laughs> His name is Donald Miller. And he has a bunch of books that are very controversial, but he's got one story in one of his books that is really cool. He talks about being a um, Christian author and going to a Christian college and talking to a bunch of students about the gospel. And he had a whiteboard, and he wrote on the top of it, free gift of salvation. And he told the students to come up and write what that meant to them. And of course, at a Christian Bible college, they all came up and wrote very theological things, right? You know, gift of God means the gospel, it means salvation, it means justification, it means sanctification, it means mercy, blah, 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 blah. And he let them go for like 10 minutes writing all these things on the board. <clears throat> 10 minutes in, no one had written the name Jesus. No one in a college of Christian students. And we're talking, he, he did this in 2008. This wasn't in the 90s or, or later. This was very recent. 
And that's burdens. That's very burdensome. It's very terrible that we don't, as Christians, have a focus that the gospel is the person of Christ. But it's also okay because we're human. You know, there's grace for all of the errors. There's grace for all of our mess ups, and it's all in the person of Christ. And that is the victory in suffering. It's going to be the person of Christ. It may not be that the situation will be okay, but we do know that the person of Christ will make it okay. Um, One of the things I've learned as a young guy is that when I'm in suffering or when I'm pointing the finger to God and asking why, it's because I'm in the way. Um, Many times the scenario uh, in my house, if something is broken or something is missing, I love blaming my wife because she's home more than me. So statistically, it should be her fault. Angelica stays home with Titus. I go work. If something's wrong at home, it's not my fault. I was out working. Honey, you fix this. Like, you're, you're the issue. But what's the case? It's usually I did something wrong before I left, and she spent 8 to 10 hours trying to figure out what the heck I did. And then I come home, and I'm still clueless about what I did wrong, and I like blaming her. We do that with our walk. We very often are looking for people to blame for our suffering, when really the only person in in God's way of our plan with Him and us in a relationship is ourself. We're, We're really the only issue. It's no one else. No one else can make your decisions for you. No one else can direct your life. No one else can take charge of the call God has for you. And that's why personally it's this transition to Pennsylvania, to moving up here and being a part of this little local assembly has been hard for me because I can't seem to get all my ducks in a row with money, with cars, with bills, with family, and it's very aggravating. I kind of want to just tell God, all right, let me take another year, get all my ducks in a row, I want to figure everything out, then I'll move to Pennsylvania. And he's been very gracious with me, but recently it's been like, you know what, I'm actually going to cause you a little bit more trouble. Both of your vehicles are going to break down. There's going to be zero money in all of your accounts. In fact, it's going to go below zero. It's not going to be easy. The food's going to suck in the house because you don't have money, so your wife can't cook awesome things, so you're stuck with Pop-Tarts and bagels. It's all going to be terrible, and I still want you to move to Pennsylvania. Why? Because it's not me that needs to fix my suffering. And I mean, you guys, hopefully hopefully you're laughing at me. I'm using myself as an example. I'm not really suffering, like per se. But, like, it can seem like suffering. I feel like a lot of times we are anxious because we, we think what's going on around us is suffering. And um, I have a quote that I really like about suffering and anxiety. Um, the stresses and anxieties and pains and problems that arise around us are sometimes because we do not see the world, other people, and even ourselves as worthy of love. And for me, it's very hard to love myself sometimes when I lose track of what? Christ. If I'm worried about myself and I'm like, oh, am I lovable? Am I okay? Like, have I lost enough weight this week to feel okay with what I look like? You know, do I have enough money in my pocket to feel like I can walk around confidently? If I'm centered around myself, I will always consider the things around me as suffering. And with Job, we're talking about somebody who actually suffered, somebody who lost everything in a very devastating way, 
And even he still kind of outranks us on our day-to-day stuff, because at first he was just like, why God? It took him chapters before he really said, you know, God, this is your fault. I have a lot of respect for Job, because he went through suffering, dialoguing with the person of Christ. And God let him do a lot of talking, and let the crazy friends with him do a lot of talking, right? Why? Because at the end, God came in and said, look, the only thing that's changed is you. I'm still here. That's our victory in the suffering, is that Christ is still here with us. There, the timeline, it's still going forward. We can't stop our, our call in our life as it progresses day to day. It's up to us to get out of the way and allow God to be with us in the moments of the day, or even in the seasons of the suffering, and let, let Him show us what He wants in it, and then um, I'll end with this. Let's see if I can find it in Job. Okay, in chapter seven, I want to climax to what I want to end with. He says, "My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. <clears throat> My life is a breath. My eyes will never again see good." I mean, he's just he's just going, going, gone in chapter seven. He says, I give up. I do not want my life anymore. And then one of his other friends says, does God pervert justice and talks about the integrity of God? Which, let's be honest, if you're suffering, or if someone around you is suffering, the last thing you want to hear is how good God is. Because right in the moment, He's not. (laughs) You don't feel that way. So be careful if you're with people who are suffering in trying to, like I said earlier, pat them on the back and say it's okay. Or don't, don't go overboard on saying how good God is. In the moment, sometimes people need your humanity to see Christ. Not just words about Christ to hear how to get through the suffering. Sometimes your humanity, your companionship, your connection, even in silence or in the emotion of it, Just being able to cry with somebody, being able to suffer with somebody, helps them get through it. They will draw from your strength, which you're really drawing from the strength of Christ. Um, I just want to pass through a few more of these chapters. He says, God's going to crush me in chapter 9. Again, I loathe my life. Then another guy starts talking. Where's Where's the verse I want? He says the the righteous are in the light and they stumble around like they're drunk. Then it shifts, chapter 13. This is this verse for me, where is it? Really should not preach from the tap, but all the verses that I like are in my actual Bible. Should just start reading that. Verse okay, Job thirteen, verse fifteen. <clears throat> Though he slays me, I will hope in him. Even I will argue my ways to his face. This will be my salvation. <clears throat> That's a huge shift from I don't want to live. God, this is your fault. 
to, I'm going to hope in him, even though he kills me, and before he kills me, I'm going to continue to argue with him, but I'm going to hope in him. To me, that is the beauty of our victory in the suffering. If we can come to a place with our daily life, and for me as a young person, it's very hard, because I measure myself up with all these other people I've seen. Thank God for the internet sometimes, but but sometimes I hate it too, because you have access to looking at other people's lives, through Facebook and Twitter and all these other things, and the news, and you get to see other people's lives, and sometimes you get this snapshot of people's lives when they're like young and victorious and whatever they're doing, and you go, man, I am behind the eight ball. And you can condemn yourself, and you can even create scenarios where you feel like you're suffering, but the reality is, it's not suffering. This is, this is life. We're human. We err. To be human is to err. But the next step to be divine is to give grace. And we know that we have God with us. And in Job's scenario, he says, even if he kills me, I'm going to hope in him. And that's, that's, a, that's not an easy place to come to, is it? But that's the victory. When we get out of the way, when we look at ourselves and say, you know what, I'm not actually lovable. But he loves me. And like Ron said earlier, it's, it's really sticking with me that we don't live this life. We don't give because of other things. We, we, we become very aware, like Ron said, that Satan is our enemy. We don't have time to be our own enemy. We need to move ourselves out of the way and let the war that God is waging with Satan... Not have, not have us as a casualty. <clears throat> That's why I really appreciate Pastor Chris and Gosha. That's why I really love this church, is that we're able to come together as a community and really look at each other from the place of God loves me and God loves all of us here. And it's not dependent on what we've done at all. We come here all as just equals, as zero, before God. And in suffering, we find the victory that when, when God allows us to look at all of our timeline, we can look at it and say, wow, even if he's going to kill me, I'm going to hope in him. Because we see the ups, we see the downs, but in the middle of all of it, we can still write the name of Christ across our life as it gets displayed by other people. Amen? I'm done talking. Father, thank you for this morning. Uh, just thank you for the book of Job where we get to learn how deeply you do care about the human condition and by human condition Lord I mean just how ridiculously crazy we are and yet you still love us thank you that in, that in our suffering whether it's from the enemy whether it's self-inflicted whether it's from other sources you continue to hope in us that we would hope in you. And you love the tension with us, God, because you know in the end, your grace wins out in suffering, regardless of the outcome. Thank you, Father. Bless Pastor Chris and Gosha as they uh, preach this morning in a gypsy church in Europe. And bless them as they travel. Cover them, protect them. And uh, Lord, for us here, thank you for the faithful team that's here. Thank you for the opportunity to speak before your people. 
Bless the rest of our day. Keep us safe from all the snowflakes. In Jesus' name, amen.